0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Let's Plan Your Wedding podcast. I'm your host, Danny C. from Danny Wedding Planning, and today we are going to talk about the myths and traditions that surround a wedding from history into the modern age. We're also going to talk about a typical wedding day schedule and how those traditions are most often incorporated. I think this is important at the beginning of wedding planning because as you visit venues and start to think about what you're going to incorporate, into your wedding day can be helpful to know what the options are and kind of what the expectations might already be from family and friends. Welcome. Let's dive in. (music) Wedding tradition number one, this is the couple not seeing one another until the aisle. As the tradition goes, from the night before until the ceremony, you are not allowed to see your significant other until the aisle, or else it's bad luck. I think you also will hear this tradition described as not seeing the bride before the wedding day, so sometimes it's understood that the groom can be out greeting guests as they arrive, but that the bride has to remain kind of in her own room until the big reveal as she walks down the aisle. Now, this came likely from the days of arranged marriages where the marriage of two people was really more of a business arrangement, and it was a coming together of two families. It was determined by the father of the bride along with the family of the groom. It could have been that they didn't want to jinx it. Um, It could have been that the couple was meeting for the first time anyways on the actual wedding day or that the father of the bride was worried that the groom's family would renege on the deal. And so they waited until the very last minute. This could also be the the heritage story of the veil covering the bride's face until the very end of the ceremony. Uh, Although I have also heard from the veil origin story that it could be a way to ward off any curses um, and confuse evil spirits. Obviously, these are not very romantic ideas um, that don't fit well into our modern age. But I do think that we still see this tradition today. A lot of couples choose to see one another for the first time as they are coming down the aisle, and that moment is often captured in photography and videography as a moment where the couple is seeing one another for the first time. The first look is definitely an evolution of this tradition where we're still having that big moment of the couple seeing one another for the first time, but it is done in a more practical fashion a couple hours before the ceremony in order to get the day started and to get some photography done before the ceremony. Tradition number two, the white wedding dress. A lot of people attribute this tradition to Queen Victoria, but I actually found that the Roman Empire was using white wedding dresses for their brides 2,000 years ago to symbolize purity and chastity. But after the fall of the Roman Empire, uh, people really just went back to wearing sort of their Sunday best, you know, their fine clothes for a special occasion. That is until 1840 when Queen Victoria wed Prince Albert in the very popular, very publicized royal wedding in the United Kingdom. Before that, brides were wearing just all colors, but Queen Victoria started a new trend. It didn't take off right away. People actually considered it very austere and a little bit boring, but after a while, people really liked the white wedding dress trend. It's interesting to note that Queen Victoria was wearing white as a symbol of her opulence and wealth. The dress would have been very hard to clean in those days. Stains would have made it unwearable again. So wearing such a fine and stainable dress was really symbolizing to the world her power and her position as a queen. Of course other traditions all around the world have other lucky colors and in some cases those traditions actually don't prefer white or don't allow white. I actually found a cool piece of history that in 1930s white was so much the trend, but in World War II there were rations for how much fabric a dress could be for a bride, and in order to help their bride, soldiers would save their parachutes, and there was a rise of the parachute wedding dress, where the soldiers would give the parachutes to the dressmakers in order for their Fiancés to be able to wear white. Today, four out of five American brides choose white. It is an iconic symbol of bridal gowns. I think it's important to note that bridal dresses these days come in all colors. I've seen black wedding dresses, red, pink, blue, but very much so, the majority of, especially American Western brides, wear white. I think that is because it is a color that is reserved for the bride and groom. It's a color that you know no one else is going to wear on your wedding day. If you choose to wear blue, other people are going to be wearing blue. And it has become really just a symbol of bridal. Wedding tradition number three, the garter. This is kind of an odd one. I found in different places different ideas for the garter and the bouquet origin story. I think what has been known is that the bride used to symbolize being lucky. And so people would want a little piece of what the bride had. It meant that they were going to get married next. They were going to get some good luck off of a bride on her wedding day. It was fair game, apparently, to go up and rip a bit of the bride's dress off to try and get a flower from her bouquet. So with the bridal bouquet, I've seen the tradition that throwing the bouquet was actually meant to distract your guests, kind of send them in an opposite direction so you could make a quick getaway. The garter, I've heard this has to relate to that as well, something else to throw to distract your guests to be able to make a clean escape, but I've also heard that in the days of arranged marriages, where especially royal weddings, where there needed to be proof of the consummation of a marriage, the garter could come from this tradition where in order to tell the people who were Uh, watching you make sure that you fulfill your wedding vows Uh, on your wedding night you could throw them the garter as a symbol to say hey you can trust us please leave because it was likely very uncomfortable to be watched in that moment. Now obviously these don't speak to us in the modern age but it is important to note that a lot of couples still choose to do garter tosses and bouquet tosses. They often come during the dancing when it's fun to involve people onto the dance floor and give them something to do, something they're familiar with. I think if you choose to do these traditions, it doesn't mean that you're hearkening back to some weird traditional age of arranged marriages, but I think it can still be a fun way to have your guests be involved in the dancing portion of your event. Stereotypically, what we see is bringing up and calling out anyone who's single or non-married to participate in these two, the garter toss and the bouquet toss. This allows people to fight over that piece of luck and the person who catches it is thought to be next in line to get married. Depending on your crew, this might not go over well. Especially with girls, it can be awkward to single them out for being non-married and then kind of hoping they show a certain level of enthusiasm and competitiveness to grab the bouquet in order to secure this next in line spot. Now, it's just a fun tradition, and in a lot of cases, couples don't choose to read too much into it. But if you feel like you have a group of girls or boys who wouldn't necessarily appreciate this or wouldn't be able to take it in good jest, it could be something that you want to expand on or change slightly to make your guests more comfortable. And the last wedding tradition we're going to talk about is the father walking the bride down the aisle Now again, we are reminded of the arranged marriage days. Is he forcefully walking her down to complete his business transaction, aka marrying off his daughter? So it really represented a transfer of ownership of property, and that is not a very modern idea, and it's not a very nice one to think about and to honor. But I really think today people see the father walking his daughter down the aisle as a very sweet gesture, gesture that their family blesses the union and is on board with the marriage. For a lot of fathers, they could have been dreaming about this day for years and years. It's probably important to talk to your father if you have that close relationship and make sure if you're going to change this tradition that there's still another way to honor your special bond. I've also heard a fun tradition that the father stands on the right side of his daughter in order to be able to have his gun-slinging hand ready for anyone who wants to harm, you know, the bride as she's walking down the aisle. She may also have that veil on, so it could be hard for her to see. I actually had a cousin whose father warded off a stray dog on their way down the aisle, so it is nice to have someone there, just in case. Today, of course, this tradition can be painful if the bride doesn't have a father that she's close to, if this is awkward for any reason within their family. Some brides are choosing to have their mothers and fathers walk them down to symbolize that both of her parents were instrumental in raising her, or I've seen brides walk themselves down the aisle. I've also seen different ways of having a processional and that's when everybody walks in to get to their places that are going to be involved in the wedding ceremony. You can get very creative here. You can have the couple walk down together, either following behind their parents who've also walked down or being walked down by their parents together. There's lots of different ways to get to the end of the aisle. And in so many cases now, within modern weddings, you're not necessarily getting married in a church. And so that ceremony is really customizable for what makes sense for your family dynamics. I don't pretend to be an expert on other heritages and their traditions. So I think what can be fun also is to talk to your ancestors, your parents, the people who raised you or anyone you're close to within your family and hear about the different traditions that they may have and how you can incorporate them on your wedding day if you want. We've kind of heard about how some of these pieces fit into a common wedding schedule, but just briefly, when you think about your wedding day, typical wedding schedules include getting ready, and that can happen at your ceremony venue. It could happen at a separate venue, like a hotel or an Airbnb, and then you're prepping for either the ceremony or the first look. Ceremony is typically 20 to 30 minutes, It's usually in the afternoon, 1 p.m. to, I would say, 5 p.m. are really common ceremony start times. In other countries, they do breakfast weddings. They do earlier weddings. Um, But I would say, you know, most commonly we see sort of ceremony setting couples up to enjoy a cocktail hour afterwards with their guests or sneak away to some photography and then be reunited with their guests into a grand announcement of the bride and groom that can take place as they arrive into their cocktail hour or to be seated for dinner with all of their guests. A little industry tip is that a cocktail hour can be more than an hour and it often is to account for the couple getting some of that photography done. It's usually an hour and a half. I've even seen them be two hours. But you don't want your guests to get too hungry, so you have to time that with getting everybody seated and getting the dinner service started. I've seen couples come in during that grand entrance and want to get their first dance right out of the way. It works well since you've got everyone's attention. You can also do those specialty dances there if you would like. Those are typically the father of the bride and the bride, the mother of the groom and the groom. Or you can be announced, get everyone seated for dinner, have a blessing or a short speech if you want, or else have your DJ or MC, Master of Ceremonies for the evening, direct people on how to get started for dinner. At the end of dinner is a good time for speeches while people are finishing their meal. Traditional speeches could be from the father and mother of the bride, the best man, and the maid of honor. In a lot of cases, the parents of the groom can also speak. I've also seen couples get up on the wedding day and thank everyone for coming. That is not required. Um, Actually, most traditionally, it would just be the groom who speaks. Of course, the bride may speak as well, and today you do hear from both people. But if you're someone who gets nervous in front of crowds, know that it is not required of you to speak on your wedding day unless you'd like to. From there, you can kick off the dancing, and that's where uh, that first dance, I would say, is most often Scene if it wasn't done before in that announcement. And then you can follow with those specialty dances, either happening simultaneously or one after the other. And then you can allow people to have open dancing for a little while. Usually there's a bit of dancing before the cake cutting. The cake cutting functions as a really helpful way to tell guests, like, you did it. If you need to leave, you can leave. The cake cutting can be timed with those shuttles, the first shuttles being available to take guests back to their cars and, and leave if they need to. And the garter toss and the bouquet toss usually happen within more of that late night dancing phase. I hear people ask how long you should allow for dancing. It really depends on how long your venue allows you to stay. In a lot of cases, there's noise ordinances or reasons that a venue says you need to be off property by a certain time. When that's like 9 or 10 p.m., it means that you don't have a ton of time based on when you started eating. So it really just depends on the time of year, the time of sunset, and the time of your venue curfew. For a lot of people, having a late night party is a priority and that's where I see a lot of people wanting to do venues that are more inclusive in that manner or else maybe private property or somewhere where you can dance late into the night. Of course, there's also the option to get people to another location that is more late night friendly, either a bar or another private property or somewhere else where you can keep the party going. And I do see a grand exit from couples in a lot of cases. Sparkler exits used to be all the rage. These last couple years, a lot of venues aren't allowing sparklers, but I've seen glow sticks and I've just seen bubbles, tunnels of people just that the couple can run through and get to their getaway vehicle or get to their next location. And that's typical wedding day. I hope you liked this episode. I hope you found it just fun and helpful getting your mind kind of working as far as what you are going to do on your wedding day and how you want it to all lay out. Thanks for joining me. I'll see you next time.